All right, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is where we are today. Um, we actually been talking about this for the last three weeks. We're going to continue to talk about it. And um, I said to you during week one that uh, some of the things that we are wanting or believing or are praying about in our own lives are being affected uh, from showing up by our own capacity to handle those things. Uh, a lot of times we are praying and we'll ask God for something. We'll We'll even find a scripture on it. We'll claim it. We'll, we'll speak it. We'll, we'll, you know, go all out and say, that's mine. And yet it still doesn't show up. And I know Kenneth Hagin used to say a lot that if, if you can find it in the word and you're believing for it and you're not seeing it, it's not God's fault. It's on us. And that, that is not a fun place to be at because we all want to just blame God and go, well, God just didn't decide to move that way, or, or God just decided not to, or, or it's God's fault or whatever. Listen, I want to say to you today that most of the times our prayers do not get answered because we can't handle it if it showed up in the first place. It is usually on us for our prayers not getting answered. People don't like that. That is a non-fun place to be. But listen, if you once you realize what the problem is and you fix it, the, the answers usually always show up. Now, this is my, in my notes. I'm going to go off script for a second here. But how long did the children of Israel wander around in the desert? 40 years. Come on, somebody. Now, whose fault was it that they went, wandered around for 40 years? Because God promised them a place to go to. He said, there's a, a land that I'll show you that flows with milk and honey. And then he, he showed it to them, and they still wandered around in the desert for 40 years. Why was that? Was that God's fault? Was it God's fault that decided for them to stay out there? No, it was their fault because they kept doubt and unbelief in their heart. Their capacity to handle the promised land wasn't there. And whether we like to admit it or whether we like to take it, when God doesn't move in our lives, folks, there's no other way to say it, but it's on us. If we can find it in Scripture and we can find a promise, then this, this, the responsibility lies on us. And a lot of times, it's because we're trying to take a, a six-ounce coffee cup like we served for, in our coffee this morning, and we're trying to catch a never-ending supply that God has. How many of you all know and are grateful that God has a never-ending supply? Come on, somebody. Yeah, we all know the God we serve. He'll never run out. He's never not going to have enough. Come on, God's got more than we'll ever need. But, you know, we can't handle it. And we're trying to catch this big, abundant supply in a six-ounce coffee cup. But this series has been designed to help us to go from being a, a, a six-ounce coffee cup to at least a big gulp. Because, you know, we're never going to be able to obtain everything that God is. But thank God we can catch more. Come on, that ought to make you happy. You, should, you can get more God in your life. And then last week, we, we went from the big gulp to the super big gulp. And, and this week, we're going to the double big gulp. We're just increasing every week. Come on, somebody say, I got more of God in me this week than I did last week. And so we've been talking about that stuff. Just a little review for you. We, we read this, the story of the talents, and um, I told you the story about a guy who was believing God for a job. And uh, he went to his pastor, and he said, hey, pastor, hey, uh, I'm believing for this job. And the pastor goes, man, great. That's awesome. You'll get to pay more tithes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He goes and he says, he says, that's great. Are you, are you qualified to do that? And he goes, well, uh, probably not, but I pay my tithes, pastor. And he goes, did you go to school for it? And he said, no, but I'm a giver. And he said, well, well have, you, have you worked in that field in, in any other time in your life? And he said, nope, 
never done anything like it in my life, but because I'm a tither and I'm a giver, I'm believing God's going to give it to me. And this pastor just said, I'm sorry, I just can't get in agreement with you on that. Because if you're not qualified and you couldn't handle that job if you got there, it would probably actually make your life a whole lot worse by getting in that position, and it would make the company a whole lot worse because you're not qualified to do it. Why? I can't agree with you for that. And so he said, I'll tell you what, though. I'll help you go to community college and, and increase yourself and increase what you're able to learn and take some business management classes and things like that and, and get yourself prepared for that so that if you do get this job, then, we, then we'll believe for it. And if you get it, then you're, you're able to handle it. And so he, the pastor actually took some money out of the church and actually paid for this guy to go to community college so he could increase. And the guy actually ended up getting not the job that he was shooting for, which was like executive vice president or something, but he ended up getting an upper management position with a substantial raise and his life was substantially better because why? His capacity to handle a job like that increased. Um, remember I told you the story too about the lottery guy that spent $152 million in just a few years' time? because he didn't have the capacity to handle that. Um, I said to you, before you can become what you want, you must first increase what you are. Where you are right now, you have to increase what that is, all right? Uh, I gave you this, this um, little formula to determine what your current capacity is. It is your current ability plus your current resources plus the stewardship that you have over both of those equals your current personal capacity. Now, what does that mean? It means what you can do, where you can do it, and how, how often or how well, how faithful are you doing that. Uh, that, that will help you identify uh, your personal capacity. Where you're at right now is based on what you can handle right now, okay? Um, how do we increase our capacity? said that to you last week. It's not by prophecy or a move of God. Uh, some people are waiting to come to that service, that one service where they just feel the touch of God so strong that they're changed forever. Listen to me. Uh, the touch of God will create you in you a new spirit. He recreates your spirit, man. But as far as your personal capacity to handle something, you can go to every good service under the sun, and it's not going to change you until you take the steps to change. David got a word from God. You're going to be king. How many of you know he wasn't ready to be king at that moment right there? But he had a word from God. So he had to go through the steps of what it took to become king. And we went through all that last week. You can listen to all that on our podcast if you want to. They're free. You can download them anytime uh, you want to. David got that big word of prophecy that he was going to be a king. And it, didn't, it did not change him until he took the steps. All right? All right. You increase your capacity by taking steps or using your ability, finding something to step on, which is the resources, and be a good steward and make sure you're taking steps. Last week we said, be faithful where you are. Faithful is a firm observance of duty, which means that you need to be doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it every time you're supposed to be doing it. There is no slack time. There is no, well, we can let it slide this time. It is making sure that we are doing it every single time time. We are faithful where we are. I said to you this statement last week, uh, your job is not an excuse to glorify God on the side. Your job is a place to be faithful at so your actions glorify God. All right. Uh, and, and then this week we're going to talk about practicing or learning to get better to fulfill your ultimate calling. In order to become the big gulp, you have to practice being the big gulp. Boy, that made everybody excited, didn't it? you got to practice being the big gulp. 
Well, I don't know how to be the big gulp. Exactly. That's why you're supposed to practice. uh, There's a, a, a very famous motivational speaker named Zig Ziglar. He says this, success always comes when preparation meets opportunity. And you know, there's a lot of times we get opportunities. You know, I just think about, I'll just, t- I'll just take this church for example. As the pastor of this church, we've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be about, I don't know, five or six times bigger than we are. But we weren't prepared for it. We weren't. We just, we weren't. <laughs> we didn't have a good follow-up system in place. We didn't have, I mean, we, we've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And unless we practice now what it's going to be like when there are five or six times more people here than that. If we don't practice like that now, then guess what? We ain't ever going to get there. We have to practice or learn how to get there, all right? Our opportunity will always come. Opportunity always comes. But if you're not ready for it, it's not going to happen, all right? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, that's where we are this morning, verse 31 says this, Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him, Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And he said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have, been done, I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. Now, by making those statements, those are, you know, that sounds like a faith person, doesn't it? The Lord will give me the victory. He will. That sounds like a faith person, doesn't it? How many of you know faith people, though, that make those kind of confessions and never see that giant laying at their feet? You know why? It's because they weren't out fighting the lion and the bear beforehand. If, if you're not ready to go and fight a lion and a bear, you ain't ever going to fight a giant. That's just, that's just the simple facts. If you, and what, what's, what is that doing? He's practicing. Whether he realizes it or not, he's practicing for what God's called him to do. He's learning how to fight something bigger than himself. Why? Because God's ordered his steps and has taken him in this direction, and David's just being faithful to do what he's supposed to. He's practicing and learning all the time. What is he doing when he says this to Saul? He's presenting his resume. Here's my resume. This is all the stuff that I've done. And now this is a new adventure. I think I'm qualified to do it, though, because I've done this. How much have you, how much have you been preparing yourself for the future? If you're not ever preparing or learning or practicing for the future, you ain't ever going to get there. A friend of mine who's a, a youth pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, at Creflo Dollar's church. You all know who Creflo Dollar is. He's on TV. Got a big church there in Atlanta. Um, well, sort of big. It's only about... 15, 20,000 people. Um, but a friend of mine is the youth pastor there. And, and uh, when he was, back in the day, when he was an assistant youth pastor in, in Tulsa at a big church out there, he was just kind of the assistant guy. And uh, he had a traveling ministry that he would go and do meetings on the weekend. And he would actually 
Now, this is before the days of 9-11, and there was no you know, big screening, and you could actually walk down to the gates. Does anybody remember these days? You could walk to the gates with somebody, hug them, almost walk on the plane with them. I mean, you, you, in some, some cities, you could walk on the plane with them. You know? And so this is what Lee used to do. Lee used to go through the checkpoints with his, with his bag, okay, when he would, you know, and he would walk down, and he would walk up to the airplane, and he would actually get on. He would have his people come with him, his, his guys come with him, and he would slap high five, and he would be like, all right, I'll see you in a few days, and he would walk on that plane, and then turn around and walk back off. He wasn't going anywhere. Here's what he was doing. He was building and practicing what it was like to be an evangelist and, 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 and book meetings. He didn't have no meetings booked. Nobody wanted Lee Wilson to come speak for them. Nobody even knew who he was. But he'd go up there and he would, he was, and that sounds so ridiculous and so crazy and so just like, man, if somebody saw you doing that, you'd just look ridiculously crazy. I mean, just, I'm not going to go do that. But he, he was doing it. He was practicing what it was like. He eventually went on to become, to be one of the biggest youth evangelists in the United States. I mean, there, I mean, he was speaking at T.D. Jakes's events. He was speaking at, at all the biggest events you could name it. Lee Wilson was one of the guys they were having come speak to the teenagers there. And now he's got a big, big church youth ministry in Atlanta. And, and it all happened because he was practicing. Back, I mean, this is back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. He would walk through the Tulsa airport with a, with a bag full of clothes, practicing to be an evangelist. Matthew chapter 25, verse 15 says, He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Now, evidently, the five and the two talent guys had been working towards this moment because the master knew they could handle what he was giving them. They had to have been, they've had to have been practicing for the five. I mean, the five guy, uh, you know, that's not the burger place. So everybody just stop salivating, okay? The five, guy, the five talent guy was not just automatically the five talent guy. I honestly believe in this story, the five talent guy a few years before had been the one talent guy. And when he was given his opportunity, he, he, would, he was ready for it. And the two talent guy, I'm convinced the last time had been the one talent guy. All right, and this one talent guy, this was his big shot. And the master was able to identify something. Now, how do you identify something if there's nothing, if they haven't been doing anything? Now, remember, I said to you last week, talent can be measured like a shirt size. Remember, because I told you all that about mom and dad taking me, and my mom and dad are here today, sitting right there. Um, they, they, uh, my mom used to take me, and it was always kind of a quiet thing. Do you have a husky section? Because she didn't want to embarrass me because I always wore huskies growing up. Um, and so, tell the truth. Don't shake your head. No, you did. It was always huskies. And so, <laughs> and talent can be measured like your clothes size can. But the only way it can be measured is if you use it. That's the only way it can be measured is if you use your talent, all right? So, these guys are given, being given something because they've done something with it. They've done something before. They've been practicing and preparing themselves for this moment. No matter where you are success-wise or experience-wise, your capacity will stop increasing the moment you stop learning or preparing. Thank you for that rallying. Amen. Acts chapter 22, verse number 3. This is the story of Paul. Now, Paul, how many of you would agree that Paul was probably the most successful of all the apostles? 
I mean, he did more for us. You know, we're, we're seeing more of his fruit today in the church than anybody else's besides the Lord Jesus, okay? Paul was the man, all right? Acts 22, verse 3 says this, Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gam- Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. Now, up to this point, Paul is one of the Jewish guys, all right? The the Pharisees were the, I mean, that's who everybody wanted to be like. I mean, they were the televangelist of their day. Okay, they were the big dogs. They were the ones, they were the big, the the megachurch pastors. I mean, that's who these guys were, that's who we're talking about, all right? Now, up to this point, Paul's ability, or his, not his ability, his capacity is this. He's a smart guy who kills Christians and has been trained by one of the, one of the best known guys in town, okay? Okay. Now, if you don't, if you, let's just look at if you, if you're, if you got your U version there, you can look Acts chapter five, we won't go over there, but in Acts chapter five, verse 34, it talks about who Gamelia was. That's who trained Paul. It says that he was a, an expert in religious laws, respected by all the people. He would stand up and, and, and order the men to do things and, and, and sent out, uh, to be sent outside the council chamber for, I mean, Gamelia was like the scholarly guy of the day and Paul is trained by him. Okay. This is the guy that educates Paul. But then Paul has this Damascus Road experience. Now, if you don't know what happens here, Paul's on the road to Damascus, and the Lord appears to him so bright, knocks him off his horse, and he says, why are you kicking against the pricks? And says this, has this whole conversation. Paul goes, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you persecute. And has this big, dramatic, spiritual awakening. I mean, we're talking dramatic. I mean, I don't know that anybody else has had a dramatic experience like this. I mean, Jesus appears to him so brightly that he's blinded. All right? Now, Paul doesn't allow just this spiritual experience, this dramatic spiritual experience, or the fact that he's been successful as a Pharisee, or his past experiences, his past smarts, if you will, to stop him. Okay? Paul decides that in order for me to keep going in this new venture with God, I have to go and increase my personal capacity, all right? Now, let's just skip down to uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse number 15. It says this, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Now, I want you to think about where Paul's at here. I'm going somewhere. Paul is trained by the best. He is one of the best. He is 
exceptionally talented, exceptionally gifted, listen to me now, exceptionally experienced. He is seasoned, and yet he takes three years and disappears and goes to learn and practice following Christ. Now this is the smartest, most successful, most seasoned of guys, spoke multiple languages, had a successful tent building business. I mean, this guy's experienced. And he stops and goes back to school. He goes and stops and goes, you know what? I I don't know enough of where I'm at right now. I I better go learn some stuff here. I better go practice some stuff here. Now, how many of you have ever know companies that get outdated and they, they get they, they don't learn anything? Let me tell you a good a good version of this. How many of you remember in the 70s there were Kmarts everywhere? Y'all remember Kmart? The, I mean, you younger folks don't remember Kmart very well, but you know, Kmart was like the place to go when you were a kid. You know, when I was a kid. All right, blue light special. Come on, you older folks are my age and older. Remember the the blue light special. You know, it was almost embarrassing sometimes. He was like, so where'd you get that at? Is that a blue light special? And he's like, yeah, don't, don't tell nobody. All right. Kmart was like what Walmart is today. That was Kmart, okay? And they became arrogant. I don't need to do that. We've been around forever. Here's your choices. And if you don't like it, too bad. That was just the way they did it. You know what? And we're out. And we'll get it whenever we get it back. And and you know what? If you don't like it, tough. Well, then along came this little guy in Arkansas named Sam Walton who decided there's a better way to do this. And he developed his own system of, of, uh, of, uh, 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 what's the word I'm thinking of where they count everything? Inventorying everything and keeping track of inventory and, and keeping track of it. And every time one would go out, the computer would log it and, and they would automatically start shipping it immediately. And, and then they would start watching weather forecasts. And if there was going to be harsh weather in some place, they would ship certain things to that area of the country. And, and they started having distribution centers so that people could get it faster. Then they stepped up the quality and stuff. And suddenly Walmart becomes the biggest in the nation and blows right past Kmart because Kmart wouldn't take the time to learn or practice for the future. Let me tell you another story. I told this to the team last week. Y'all know who could have been the first email provider in the country? The United States Post Office. Back in the day when the military was using email like it was no big deal, they actually presented it to the postmaster general and said, why don't we make the civilian version of this? Give this to the, to the civilians. Everybody can have one of these. And they said, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Nobody's going to want to do that. Everybody likes getting something in the mail. And now guess, look what's happening. The price of postage keeps going up. The days that it's being delivered keeps going down. They're closing sorting centers all over the country. Why? Because they wouldn't embrace email. And so guess who did? Private industry. AOL pops up out of nowhere. Nobody has an AOL account anymore, but they're one of the first big ones. CompuServe jumps up there. Prodigy jumps up there. All these people start getting, now we got Gmail. Now we got, you know. But what developed out of that? Facebook came out of that. Social media came out of that. We would have all had a USPS Postal Service if somebody there had just taken the time to learn, come on, or practice. 
People who depend on just a dramatic spiritual experience to change and fix everything for them. Are, are, they're, they're just as bad as people who won't learn. I know people that have had dramatic, dramatic things happen in their life. And they don't do anything to learn about what God's calling them to do. Well, God's going to teach me everything. I remember one time, Pastor, I, I know this guy. A pastor stood in front of his church. He's a big guy, huge. And he said, the Lord's going to restore me to be uh, back to when I was 21 years old. And it was like, well, what are you going to, you going to go on a diet? Or what, what are we doing here? No, I don't got to do nothing. The Lord's going to take me and he's going to fix me. He's just going to do it. He's going to restore my health till I'm 21 years old. And yet I'm still going to go eat an 18-inch pizza after service today. <laughs> No change, no nothing. Didn't go, want to go learn about how to lose weight, how to fix his cholesterol, how to fix his sugar, how to fix none of that. And, and he's dead now. See, if we don't practice and prepare for the future, the future isn't gonna come. There's a future coming, but it's not the future that you're wanting. No matter how experienced, or seasoned you are, how dramatic your relationship with God is in order to increase how much of God or future success you have, you have to learn or practice for it. If you aren't practicing, learning, or attempting to improve, uh, you are about to disqualify yourself because time is always marching on. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only, a person gets, only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes who are disciplined, uh, in, uh, are disciplined in their training, they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. Training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, this is the same dramatic experience Paul writing this. This is the same guy who had Jesus appear to him so brightly that he's blinded. Okay, this is the same guy who goes to the backside of the desert for three years and learns and practices. And even he says, I am going to be disqualified if I don't keep this up. Listen, if you don't keep increasing, if you don't keep being able to obtain more and, 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 and hold more and, and receive more and learn more, you, your capacity will level off and you'll stay right where you are. How many of you, man, there's people all over the country that have leveled off and been that same place for 50, 60 years. There's people, I mean, we all probably have people in our family like this that just, that's it. That's all there is. And when you start telling them that maybe you should try that, and they give you that, this excuse, well, you know, I'm an old dog, and you just can't teach an old dog new tricks. Baloney. Everybody can learn. Everybody, if Paul, midway through his life, can change and, and become from a Pharisee to the most successful apostle, we all can. All right? Now, I was thinking about who is it that, that goes through a lot of of, of practices and, and who is it that goes through a lot of learning and, and changing and, 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 and I was talking to the team about this and, and we started talking about athletes and, and things like that and, 
Anybody in here play sports when you were growing up? I, I did. I, I went through football and basketball, baseball, track. I was a sprinter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was a shot putter because uh, I was one of those big guys. And, um, and so uh, we practiced all the time. seemed like we were always into something. Baseball in the summers, football practice started two days into the latter part of the summer. And then we, as soon as we get out of football practice, we go to baseball pra- or basketball practice and have to run suicides. And man, it stunk. It was terrible. And then we go to baseball practice in the spring. I mean, it was just always year-round something. And as we were thinking about this, as we were thinking about this practicing thing, I ran across this clip and I laughed so hard I thought I would share it with you. Okay, this is a little something Jerry Seinfeld did about athletes training. I was in London uh, about a month ago, the World Cup was going on. I enjoy any sporting event where nations get involved. I find that the most exciting. The Olympics is really my favorite uh, sporting event, although I, I think I have a problem with that silver medal. I think if I was an Olympic athlete, I would rather come in last than win the silver, if you think about it. You know, you win the gold, you feel good. You win the bronze, you think, well, at least I got something. But you win that silver, that's like, congratulations, you almost won. Of all the losers, you came in first of that group. You're the number one loser. No one lost ahead of you. And they don't lose by much. You know, these short races, three hundredths of a second, two hundredths of a second. I don't know how they live with that the rest of their lives. Because you've got to tell the story. Everyone wants to hear the story. Wow, congratulations, silver medal. Did you trip? Did you not hear the gun go off? Tell us what happened. <laughs> it's a hundredth of a second. People say, what was the difference in the, in the margin there? What was it? Well, it was like from now. It was like from now, now to now. Now, now to now. To now. Now. now to now. Now. Now to now. 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 That was it. I trained, I worked out, I exercised my entire life. I never had a date, I never had a drink, I never had a beer. I was doing push-ups since I was a fetus. I flew halfway around the world. Everybody I knew in my whole life was there. The guy shut off the gun. And they always had that photo finish. You know, the photo finish was always silver, gold. This is the whole race. Gold, silver, bronze, dead last. <laughs> Greatest guy in the world, never heard of him. <laughs> and, you know, guys got to be thinking if I had a pimple, I would have won. <laughs> I was in London. Uh... This is how. We should be approaching everything we do in life. We should be devoting ourselves like this. We should be practicing to get better. We should be learning to get better. Those of you who own your own business, embrace the new way of doing things. Those of you who are are, are jobs, teachers, doctors, whatever you are, you should be embracing the next, what's next? Well, I'm so tired and I don't want to do that anymore. Listen, if you base what you're doing now on what you learned yesterday, you'll be stunted for the success of tomorrow. So in the meantime, what are you doing to get better? A lot of you have been educated and trained, but are you any better today than you were yesterday? Are you furthering your education or bettering your craft? Are you learning how to run your business different? 
Bill Hybels, who's the pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, who has anywhere between 30 and 40,000 people, tells his staff at least three times a year. They have big staff meetings, but he'll pull groups of them in and he'll check up on them three times a year, really in depth. And he says, I want you to go and find three people in the world who are doing your job better than you and learn what you can from them. Now, this is a, that's not easy to do when you're pastoring a church of 40,000 people. Where am I going to find somebody that's doing my job better than me? I don't know, but there's a church in, in Houston that's got about five or 6,000 more people than you. I'd start there. You know what I'm saying? Find somebody that's doing your job better than you. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 5 says this, Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. You know, no matter how wise you are, how smart you are, how gifted you are, you can always become wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and par- parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear, the, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Those that really increase in practice or continue learning are the ones that capitalize by preparing for their moment. I'll close with this story. Uh, in Palm Springs, California, uh, it's a pretty wealthy community. You gotta be, you know, a lot of expensive homes there and a lot of expensive uh, uh, millionaires live there. And, and uh, there's a group of millionaires that meet at a country club. And they have breakfast once a week and they have this little sharpening thing where they just kind of talk to each other and they're just kind of like, hey, you know, what do you got going on? And what do you think about this idea? And, and they kind of just kind of bat it around a little bit because they're all on the same level with each other. And finally, one day, a billionaire moved into their neighborhood. And they're like, dang, billionaire. Wonder what we can learn from him. Now that really, that really said something to me that a guy that's already worth 50 to 100 million dollars decides that he needs to go learn from something from a guy who's worth a billion. Well, what better guy to learn from? And so they went and got this, they, they went and played golf with him and, you know, kind of started talking to him and said, hey, will you come to our little breakfast meeting and, and just, you know, it's, it's only about eight or ten of us. Speak to us, you know, and help us to, to, you know, maybe just think a little bit differently. And so the billionaire comes to their meeting and sits down and listens to them all talk and then he goes, okay, guys, I think I know what I'm going to say to you. And they're like, great. What can, what can you give us? And he goes, what would happen if you guys really tried? <laughs> now here's the guys that are making hundreds of millions of dollars already and a guy who has a billion dollars completely just, just ignores everything they've done and says, how, how, how about if you really tried? What's going on there? They're learning from somebody that's on a different level from them. They're, they're practicing to get to where he is. Listen, wherever you are, you may be saying, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not even worth a, a thousandaire, okay? That doesn't apply to me. Okay, so where do you want to go? Are you practicing to get there? Church, you, you guys on the team hear me say this all the time. We need to be acting like there's already 500 people here. We should be running everything that we do with a level of excellence like there's 500 people here already. Why? Because if we don't, we ain't ever going to get to see 500 people here. At this point, I, I, would, I would even say it this way. 
We should be acting like there's already 200 people here or 100 people here. Or heck, more than that, 70 people here. We should be acting like that already. Why? Because that's how we get to that level. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and I'm done. Where are you in your walk with God? You want to be super spiritual and you want to have the walk, kind of walk with God where God speaks to you in an audible voice in the middle of the night? Okay, are you reading your Bible when nobody else is around? You want to have that walk with God where you're not tempted with the things that, you, that you're tempted with regularly, the things that just seem to keep, just keep throwing themselves in your path. Okay, you want to have that kind of walk with God where those temptations slide aside? Are you praying right now in the car by yourself? Are you praying? Are you spending time with God now? Are you practicing the presence of God? Are you learning how to get to that level? Because man, if you're not, you're not ever going to get there. And your capacity will stay right where it is right now. I was raised and, and heard it all my life. Knowledge is power, knowledge is power, knowledge is power. That goes so much so for our walk with God and everything that we do. The Bible says this, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Make it a point in your life to learn today. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, let me tell you, that is the first thing you need to know. You need to know him as Lord. So if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to make, I want to make that invitation open to you today. I want you to slip your hand up and say, that's me. Man, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe you're here and you have made Jesus the Lord of life. Maybe you, you've been saved. Maybe you've been, uh, you know, in church, but you've walked away and been doing whatever you want to do. You've allowed yourself to just be something else that, that you know is not right. You want to make your life right before God today. If that's you, slip your hand up and say, that's me. Praise God. I don't see any hands, and that's good. I'll take that to mean that, that everybody here is in good standing with God, got things figured out, and got things going on, and that's great. Now I want to challenge you with this. What are you learning about God today that you didn't know yesterday? In your relationship, where are you learning where are you growing? Where are you practicing? Because that's where you're going to end up. And for those of you who are sitting there saying, well, you know, my walk with God's been kind of flat. My walk with God's been kind of dull. What if I said to you, maybe that's because that's where you've been practicing. Well, God just kind of feels like he's way far off somewhere. Well, maybe that's because that's where you've been practicing. You've been learning to live life like that. We need to learn to live life with God closer. This is why, the, this is why John says, uh, when, I, when I decrease, he increases. James says that those that draw nigh to God, come on somebody, he'll draw nigh to them. It's all about the practice. What are you doing? What are you doing? 